know, one of the things that makes us unique at Hope is that we come from a variety of religious backgrounds. Some of you may be like me. I grew up in a church that really focused on becoming a Christian, and it, that was about it. So we got a steady diet of salvation messages. When you went to church on the weekend, you got a salvation message. As a kid, when you went off to camp, you got salvation messages. In fact, they would make sure that on Friday evening, a, a young evangelist would come in and give us a hellfire and brimstone uh, message and scare us to death. And, and at the end, we would all go forward and pray a prayer and put a stick in the fire. And we're like, okay, we made a decision. Everything's going to be good. You know? And for the, for the adults, they had revivals. Now, you guys don't know what revivals are, but a revival was when they would bring in a guest speaker and you would go to church every night, seven nights in a row. Now, some of you can't make it to church seven times a year. Imagine going seven times in one week, right? And every night, it was a hellfire and brimstone message. And you were supposed to invite all your friends. In fact, they would have things like pack a pew night and and they would assign you a pew. By the way, most of you don't know what a pew is. It's a long wooden bench that was designed to keep you awake in church, okay? Uh, pack a pew night. And the, and the thinking was if we can just get people here to hear the message, they'll make the decision to be a Christian. And, and if the message, the hellfire and brimstone message didn't get them, the 25, 30 verses of just as I am would get them. I mean, eventually that'll break a man down. But the emphasis was getting somebody, people to make the decision. In fact, our church treated Christianity like a disease we just wanted everybody to catch it and I think the assumption was if we just walked the aisle or we prayed the magic prayer somehow we were going to become great Christian people it was just magically going to happen husbands were going to be better husbands wives were going to be better wives parents were going to be better parents teens were going to be better teens and it was all going to happen by just going to the front of the church by just making a decision by just praying a prayer here's the problem it didn't always seem to take there were teens who went forward and prayed the prayer and nothing changed. There were adults who went forward at revivals and prayed the prayer, nothing changed. It was kind of like they were exposed to the disease, but they didn't get enough of the disease to actually be infected by the disease. And our pastors, uh, they would explain it away by saying stuff like, oh, they didn't have heart faith, they only had head faith. They believed here, but they didn't believe here. And it used to scare me to death because I used to think, well, what, what if I only have head faith? I'm going to go to hell. Because, you know, every week I heard messages like, if you do this, you're not a Christian. If you do that, you're not really a Christian. And I thought back through the week and I had done this and that. You know, and I'm like, wow, you know, maybe I just have head faith. And, and so I'd go forward and I'd say the prayer again. And it was like this frustrating cycle. Maybe that's the kind of church you grew up in. But as we're going to see as we begin this new series on the book of James, that's not what Christianity is all about. It's not about praying a prayer, walking to the front of the church, making a decision, and then automatically your life changes and everything falls into place and you're the person that God wants you to be. It just doesn't work out that way. That's not how it works. Some of you grew up in churches where your parents, I mean, a top priority was to make sure that when you were born, you were baptized. In fact, some of your biggest stresses right now as a young couple with children is your parents, they bug you. They want you to make sure you get that baby baptized because that's what they did for you. And the reason they thought it was going to somehow mysteriously, if you got baptized as a baby, give you one, a better quality of life. And second, make sure that you went to heaven when you died. So your parents thinking was, if I can just get them wet, you know, something good automatically is going to happen. And I'm not making fun. That was just the belief system. Your parents thought if they could get you baptized, if they could just get you through the process, they could relax, they could breathe a sigh of relief because you're good to go. If anything happens, you're going to have a great, great life. But as we read the book of James, I think James would be like, where in the world did you ever come up with that idea? 
Some of you grew up in churches that, you know, they were totally focused on just believing the right thing. And every Sunday morning was like a theology lesson. It was like going to seminary. And, and you reminded every, every week you were the real church, the true church, the right church, right? And any church that didn't teach exactly what you taught or didn't believe exactly what you believe, well, they were, they were all heretics. They were all going to hell, right? And so the pastor's goal every week was get out your Bible, get out your commentary, get out your pen, your pad. He wanted to get you to believe correctly. And so you grew up thinking, man, if I just believe the right thing, I will magically become a great Christian. If I just have a, the, the, a, white, a right grasp of theology, I'm going to become the person that God wants me to be. And you kind of grew up with the motto, the more I know, the better I'll be. And James, I think he would say, well, that's certainly part of it. I mean, you need to know God's word, but that's not it either. Some of us grew up in, you know, we were told, hey, if you want to have a happy marriage, don't be unequally yoked together. Don't even date an unbeliever. You may accidentally fall in love and that's going to screw up your whole life. Only marry another Christian. So we got married to another Christian thinking, well, one Christian marries another Christian. I'm going to have a great Christian marriage. Let me ask you, how's that working out for us, right? Like it was just automatically going to happen. And it's because we have this idea that praying the right thing or believing the right thing or checking all the right boxes, it's going to magically change our life. James wants us to understand it means absolutely nothing. When it comes to life change, that's not going to make the difference. There's no value to simply believing the right stuff, regardless of how sincere you are. Because as we're going to learn over the next few weeks in this series, we're going to learn that faith without application is absolutely useless. Faith without application is a waste of your time. It will do nothing to change your life into the person that God created you to be and he desires you to be. Now this weekend we're going to begin our series by looking at a verse that really sums up the theme of the whole book of James. Uh, if you have your Bible, James chapter 2 verse 14. If you're new to church, uh, you're, you're new to the Bible, you'll never find the book of James, so don't even bother. But you have a whole week, okay? So go home, go to the end. The book of Revelation, work back a few books, you'll find this little five-chapter book of James, and you'll be with us next week. James chapter 2, verse 14, here's the theme, sums up the entire book. This is what James asked. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? So James sets up this whole passage by asking, is there any practical good that comes from a person saying that they have faith, but it, they do nothing about it? It in no way translates into how they live their life. And the answer that James is looking for is no, there's not much use in that kind of faith. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 14, can such faith save them? Uh, the word such there is not there in the original Greek. Literally it says, can faith save them? Now here's the problem with this verse. As Christians, those of us who've been around church for a while, whenever we hear the word save or saved, we automatically connect it with salvation for example if we walk up to someone and say are you saved you know here's the answer we're looking for have you placed your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross he shed his blood so that you could find forgiveness of sins and go to heaven when you die that's what we mean when we ask someone are you saved but if you walked up into the to someone in the first century and said are you saved they would say from what Saved from what? See, in the first century, saved wasn't a theological term. It was just a word. In fact, James uses the word save or saved three times in his book. He never once uses it in regards to salvation, accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. He uses the word saved the way we use the word saved all the time. We would say Johnny Manziel saved 
the game, you know, for Texas A&M, right? We would say Clemson saved all of us from having to listen to Ohio State fans all year telling us how they ought to be the number one team in the nation. They saved us from that. So understand, James isn't referring to salvation, that moment in time where you become a Christian. These were already Christians he was writing to. We'll see next week as we go back to chapter 1, verse 1. These were Jews who recognized Jesus Christ as the Messiah and had accepted him as a savior, just like James was a Jew who became a Christian. By the way, James who wrote this book was the half-brother of Jesus. But he didn't become a Christ follower until after his brother had died on the cross and came back to life. And I get that. My brother could tell me he's the Messiah, but unless he's dead and comes back to life, I'm not buying it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that's the James who wrote this book. But this is what James is asking. This doesn't have to do with salvation. He's asking this. On a day-to-day basis... Can faith that's not applied to any area save your life? Actually, a better word is, can it preserve your life? Can it preserve the areas of your life that you want to see preserved and saved? For example, can a man who knows all the right theology about marriage, maybe you can quote every verse in the Bible that relates to marriage, but you don't apply that to your marriage, can that kind of faith save his marriage? Can that kind of faith that you don't apply, can it make him a better husband? And James would say, no, it's it's a waste of time. Can that kind of faith save you financially? Can it save your self-esteem as a student? Can Can it save your moral integrity as a single adult? You know, can it save any relationships? If you don't apply what the Bible says about relationships, does it do any good... Uh, to help save the relationships in your life that are most important to you? And And the answer that James is looking for is no. He says that kind of faith has no value whatsoever. And yet, many of us, and I think it's because of the way we were raised, we think that our life is going to automatically get better just because we made the decision to become a Christian. We made the decision to accept that free gift of salvation that we just talked about over the Christmas series. And now we're in the kingdom of God. We just think everything's going to begin to fall into place. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be a better employee. I'm going to be a better student. I'm going to be a kinder, gentler person. I'm going to be the person. I'm going to get to experience the life God created me to experience. James says if you think that, you're dreaming. If you think that you're living in a fantasy world because it is the use of your faith, it's as you begin to apply what you know that preserves you, that preserves your marriage, that preserves your relationships, that preserves your integrity, your self-esteem, your finances. But to think that there's some practical good that's going to become from you being baptized or going to the front of a church or praying a magical prayer, James says, you, you just need to wake up. You need to do a reality check. He wants us to understand that God's way of saving us, preserving those areas of our life that we want preserved, it's through the application of our faith. It's living out what we learn. And James even gives us an illustration beginning in verse 15. He says this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? In other words, you can say, I love other people. I want to treat other people as God would have me treat other people. So you're walking out of here this weekend, and you run into someone you haven't seen in a while, and you say, hey, how was your Christmas? And they, you know, their countenance just drops to the floor, and the husband says, well, maybe you didn't know, but six months ago I lost my job, and we've gone through our savings. I can't find anything. We're getting ready to lose our house. We don't even have food. I don't know how we're going to eat lunch today. 
And tears begin to stream down your face. You know these people. You're moved over their situation. You're thinking, that is the saddest story I've ever heard in my life. And you say, man, I just need to pray. So you put your arm around and say, God, help this couple. Help him find a job. Help her find a job. Give them wisdom to make the right decisions. God, even give them a little bit of lunch money so they can eat today. In your holy, mighty name, we pray, God, amen. And then you say, see you and walk off. Right? James says, what good is that? He says, you're no different than the person who hears the story, is not moved emotionally at all, doesn't think that you ought to ever give anybody any help, right? James says, you're no better than that. Practically speaking, your faith, what you say you believe, that you care about people, absolutely useless in that situation. And his point is this. It's the same way in every area of your life. To just sincerely believe the right stuff or sing about the right stuff or even tell other people about the right stuff means nothing. Until you actually begin to apply what you say you believe, there's no practical use whatsoever in this process of you being transformed into the person that God wants you to be. That's why he says in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. And this is what James is saying. There really are two kinds of faith, but it's not real faith and phony faith. It's not head faith and heart faith. It's living faith and dead faith. It's active and inactive. You see, every believer has faith. You can only be a follower of Jesus Christ by having faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. But here's the question. As a believer, do you have inactive faith or do you have active faith? Because inactive faith won't do you one bit of good in this life. It is the practical follow-through of our faith that makes a practical difference in our lives. You know what it is? It's, it's, it's coupling what we say we believe with our actions that preserves the things that we want to see God preserve in our life. Now, James knew that not everybody was going to buy into this. He had a tough crowd, just like I know this was a tough crowd this weekend. A lot of you are new to hope, and you're here for the first time, and you just got to get your toe in the water to see what it's about, right? He knew that there would be people out there saying, James, I know what you're up to. You've got an agenda. You're setting us up. I know where this is going to end. James, you're going to tell us if we really, really believe A, then that has to result in us doing B, or we really, really don't believe. That's where this is going. Your goal is to tell me how I should live my life. James, your goal is to tell me how I should run my relationships. James, you're going to begin to tell me what my morals should be. You're going to put me on a guilt trip about how I handle my finances. James, I know what you're up to. You want to get all up in my business. You know, that's, that's, James knew that, just like some of you are like that right now. So James knew that there would be some people that would respond, hey, James, listen, just because two people believe the same thing doesn't mean that they have to act it out the same way. In other words, hey, James, there's no direct automatic correlation between what you believe and what you do. James knew that that would be the response of his listeners. He knew that that would be the argument. That's how a lot of people would feel. In fact, that's how many of you feel right now. A lot of you, if you're honest, you left other churches because you thought the pastor was becoming a busybody. You thought he was meddling in your life, right? I mean, you you went to church to be inspired, right? You went to church so you could walk out feeling better about yourself. Not guilty because you weren't doing something right, but you went to the church and he kept talking about your marriage and what was wrong with your marriage and why your marriage isn't working right. 
He kept talking maybe about sexual purity or, or how if you really believe that everything comes from God, you ought to reorder your finances in a way that you can begin to invest in God's kingdom. Or maybe he said something like, you got to reprioritize your world so that you can find time to serve other people. And you were like, whoa, 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 I'm here to get inspired. Don't tell me how to run my marriage. I don't need you to be the morality police for me. Quit trying to figure out how to separate me from my hard-earned money. Don't tell me I got to change my children's schedule because they're too busy and, and I don't have time to serve other people. Quit trying to control me. Don't manipulate me. Why can't we just talk about some doctrine? Why can't we just agree on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God? Hey, let's talk about the virgin birth. Let's even have more Christmas productions. Nobody gets offended at Christmas productions. Everybody loves everybody at Christmas productions. Why does it have to be so practical? And so you left that church. <laughs> and now you're discovering you don't like this church for the very same reason. I mean, you, you looked in the yellow pages or went online and you saw community church. That's non-threatening. Doesn't have Baptist in there. Doesn't have Church of God. That'll be cool. So you're here at the community church and you're wondering, why can't we just celebrate what we have in common? Why can't we just focus on loving one another and accepting one another? Why can't we just focus on building one another up? Mike, there's a good thing going here. Why do you have to ruin it by getting up there and telling us how we should live our lives? I mean, Mike, we can all believe the same thing, but that doesn't mean that we have to live our lives the same way. You ever heard that before? You have teenagers? Yeah. You know what James' response would be to that? He would say, you are dead wrong. In fact, he addresses this argument by using an imaginary person to kind of play the devil's advocate, the other side of the argument. He says this, but someone will say, see, he knew what you were thinking, and this is where the imaginary person comes in, or maybe it's you. You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And the point that this imaginary person is making as he's arguing with James is this. Faith and deeds don't necessarily go together. In other words, what you do doesn't necessarily reflect what you believe. And this person who's arguing with James, this imaginary person, he even gives an illustration to prove his point in verse 19. He said, hey, James, you believe that there is one God. And James is like, I certainly do. That's what I believe. Look at his response. Good. In other words, I believe that too. James, we believe the same thing. But I'm going to prove to you that just because we believe the same thing doesn't mean that it has to work itself out the same way. Look at verse 19. Even the demons believe that. They believe there's one God. And look at their reaction. They shudder. And the point that this imaginary person, as he's arguing with James, his point is this. He says, James, let's think about it. You and the demons, you believe the same thing. You both believe that there's one God, but you apply it differently. The demons believe that there's one God, and it scares them. They shudder. James, you believe that there's one God, and your reaction is you're excited. You rejoice. You celebrate. It's the same truth, but different reactions, different ways of living it out. So this imaginary person, James, that just proves it. Because we believe the same thing doesn't necessarily mean we have to act the same way. So James, don't tell me how to live my life because I can believe what you believe and I can live my life my own way. And James, you can believe what I believe and you can live your life your own way because I just proved that everybody's faith doesn't work itself out the same way. Case closed. That's the argument. That's how some of you are thinking. By the way, I, I, uh, I, I grew up, this is how I heard this passage preached. Uh, I'd hear somebody pastor get up and say, some of you have demon faith. 
Yeah. Just like the demons, you believe the right things, but you act the wrong way, and you're no better than the demons, and you're going to spend eternity in hell with all the demons. I'm leading the charge to the front of the church. I, I don't care how many times I've been, I'm going to pray the prayer. I don't want demon faith, right? You know, I'm a Blue Devil fan, but I don't want demon faith, right? <laughs> or maybe you heard it preached this way. Uh, just because you believe may not be right, because even the demons believe, you know? You ever heard that preached in your church? Anybody? Three people, the rest of you went to good churches, evidently. That's not what James is teaching here. Remember, this isn't James talking. This is the imaginary person. This is the devil's advocate. He's basically saying this. Just because you believe something doesn't mean it works itself out the same way. And some of you, again, you feel the exact same way. You would say, hey, because I talk to you. I get your emails. Mike, I believe. I believe there's a God. I believe he gave Jesus his only begotten son to die on a cross so our sins could be forgiven so that we could spend all eternity with him in heaven. I believe I am with you. But Mike, when you start telling me how to handle my marriage, well, that's just too far. Or Mike, you start telling me because I want to get out of my marriage that I don't have biblical grounds for divorce. Mike, that's, that, that's just too far. Or Mike, when you start telling me how I should handle my finances or how I should handle my calendar so I could give and serve other people, that, that's just going too far. When you start meddling and telling me how the Bible says I should raise my kids, that's just too far. When you start trying to push morality on me that I'm not comfortable with, that's just going too far. Why can't we just focus on doctrine? Why can't we just focus on truth? Why can't we just focus on what we have in common? This is what James would say. If you don't pay attention to what God says should be the practical outflow of what you believe. Because God does say if you believe A, your action should be B. James says if you don't pay attention to that, your life, your reputation, your finances, your relationships, your integrity, everything about you, it cannot be preserved by God. It will not be saved by God. In other words, you can believe and believe and believe and believe until the cows come home. You can pray and pray and pray until you're blue in the face. It will not do any good because, understand, God has chosen to preserve us. God has chosen to save the things that are important to us through the application of what we say we believe. In fact, look at what James says in verse 20. He says, you foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he uses the character as an illustration that this Jewish audience was very, very familiar with. He says in verse 21, was not our father Abraham, remember Abraham, the father of the Jews? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did, not what he believed, what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So this is what James is saying to this Jew Jewish audience. He said, let me use Abraham as an example. Hey guys, why do you think Abraham was such a great guy? And maybe somebody raised their hand, I got one, I got one. I love the story when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation through you, Abraham. But for that to happen, you're going to have to leave the security of your home and you're going to have to follow me where I am taking you. And I love the fact that Abraham followed God and he didn't even know where God was taking him. And maybe the person said, I, I don't know that I could do that, right? So James says, okay, think about it. What is it you really like about the story? Maybe the guy scratches his head and says, well, you know what? I think what I like is that Abraham had great faith, and he actually did what God told him to do. 
And James says, that's right. And maybe somebody else raised their hand. Ooh, you know what? I, I love that story where God spoke to Abraham and said, I want you to take your son Isaac up on the hill and I want you to sacrifice him. Man, I love my kids. I don't think I could have done that. But Abraham believed God. He trusted God. He even believed God to the point that if he had to take that dagger and he actually did have to go through with it and plunge it through Isaac's heart, that God would have brought Isaac back from the dead. I mean, Abraham's the man. Incredible faith. And James, as he's listening, he would say, that's right. But think about it. What you really celebrate about Abraham, it isn't just his faith. It was his deeds. I mean, if Abraham would have only believed, but he never did anything, James says, where would we be as a nation? And they're like, wow, we wouldn't even be a nation. And James says, exactly. The reason you see Abraham as such a great man isn't because he just believed. You know what it is? It's because of what he did with what he believed. And James's point is this, in the same way, those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ, those of us who've accepted that free gift of salvation, we are Christians, we are believers. Understand, the thing that is going to make a difference in our daily lives as we live out our daily lives, every aspect of our lives, isn't what we believe. It's what we choose to do with what we believe. That's his point. He's saying in this life, the only thing that gives your faith value is your willingness to do something with what you believe. In other words, at some point, as you hear God's word, you have to decide, am I going to apply it or not? And if you don't ever apply it, I'm telling you, you can come to church every time the doors are open. You can make sure you never miss your small group but if you don't apply what you believe, what you're learning, your life will never change. I mean, you can say financially, I really, I believe that everything comes from God. That's very spiritual sounding. But if you really believe it, then it's going to change how you handle your finances. Because no longer am I the owner, I'm just the manager of what God has given me. So now it's not about what I want to do with my finances, it's about what does God want me to do with my finances. And if you believe it, but you never act on it, your financial world will never change. You say, well, you know, I, I believe that you'll be blessed if you serve other people. That's what Jesus said. He doesn't lie. I believe that. But if you never rearrange your schedule so that you find time to serve other people, you won't ever experience that blessing. That aspect of your life will never change. You can say, I believe in marriage. I'm committed to marriage. Christians are big today. I'm, I'm all about the sanctity of marriage. That's cool. When you say you're really into marriage, but let me say this, husbands, until you decide to love your wives as Christ loved the church and you're willing to lay down your life for her and, uh, until you're willing to love her that way. And as we saw in our series, Love Differently Wives, until you're willing to say, I'm willing to submit to my husband, not because I want to, but because what God said to do, I submit to him as unto the Lord. Until you're ready to live your life that way, I can tell you something. You can know it in theory, but your marriage is never going to change. You're going to continue to have the same problems. You can say, I want to be a great single adult of integrity. I want to find a Christian person. I want to marry them. I want to do it God's way. Well, God's way says no sex outside of marriage. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm committed to that part of God's way, right? Because I'm not sure I can ever hook someone if I'm not willing to do that. Well, then you're going to end up finding the same old losers over and over again until you decide you want to do it God's way. It's not what you say you believe. It's what you do with what you say you believe that's going to make a difference. That's why James concludes in verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In other words, the application of our faith 
That's the means by which God saves and preserves us. It's not just about believing the right stuff. Doesn't matter how often you show up at church or that your kids go to Kid City or that you married another Christian. If you're not choosing to apply what you say you believe, your life will never change. I mean, let's be honest, as Christians, we can screw up our lives just like anybody else, right? I deal with people every week. They come into my office, they sit, they put their head in their hands. You know what they say? Almost 99 times out of 100, how did I ever get in this situation? I'll tell you how. As Christians, it's because there's no sin that we can't commit. As Christians, there's no sin we can't get involved in. As Christians, there are no consequences that we're automatically saved from. Christians have affairs, blow up marriages. Young Christian women get pregnant out of marriage. We struggle with drug issues and alcohol issues and pornography and issues, and it's because there's no practical value to say, I believe. It's what are we going to do about what we say we believe? Now, here's the flip side. This is what we're going to be talking about in this series. And I can tell, boy, it is quiet in here. And some of you are thinking, I am never coming to this church again, right? <laughs> Let me tell you where we're going in this series. Because this should excite you. If you'll learn to apply your faith to your daily life, this is what will happen. God will save and preserve the relationships that are most important to you. If you'll learn to apply your faith, God will reestablish your reputation and integrity. If you'll begin to live out what you learn, God will do something amazing in the area of your finances and maybe with your self-esteem. God is willing to work in all of these areas of your life. But see, here's our part. We have to be willing to step up to the plate and apply our faith as directed. You know, when Jesus, right before he went back to heaven, the Great Commission, he says, he says go out and make disciples. What did he say? Teach them all things? No. Teach them to obey all things. That's the key. That's the key. And let me just add this, since I've, there's three people I hadn't offended yet, so let me just say this so I can offend all of you. <laughs> if you, as a Christian, really want your life to change, if you're sick of your life, you're sick of the mess, you want to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised to you, I'm going to tell you something. You've got to get off this kick. Don't tell me how to live my life. You've got to get, get off that kick. I mean, let's just be honest. Isn't it true that the greatest regrets in your life had very little to do with what you believed but they had a whole lot to do with what you did. Somebody needs to tell you what to do. And it's God's word. I mean, as Christians, we basically all believe the same thing. God, Jesus, salvation, get to go to heaven. when We believe that. This is what's interesting. Some of you have made the decision to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You became a Christian. You're sitting here this weekend. Your life has been radically changed. Your marriage has been saved. Your finances have been turned right side up. You are a better parent. You're a better work person. God is blessing you in all areas of your life. Others of you have also made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. And you're still screwing up. And you're still living in the backwash of all kinds of pain, all kinds of junk, all kinds of crap in your life. Let me ask you a question. Why is that? What's the difference? I'll tell you what it is. It's because it's not simply what you believe. It's what you do with what you say you believe. And God's kind of standing on the sidelines saying, hey, man, I'm trying to save you. I am trying to preserve you. I am trying to help you experience this life that you really, really want. But you got to understand, my means of doing it isn't belief alone. It's not prayer alone. It's applying your faith. And until you do, 
you have a useless, dead faith. I want you to understand something. The problem isn't with God. A lot of you are mad at God because your life's not going like the lives of other Christians. Why can't my life be like them? Why isn't God blessing my life the way he's blessing her life? The problem isn't with God. The problem is with our application. The problem isn't our belief system. The problem is with our application. The, the problem isn't with our lack of knowledge. People all the time say, Mike, we've got to go deeper. I'm a P major. I've explained that to you. This is as deep as it gets. We don't need more knowledge. The problem is our lack of application. So in this series, we're going to answer the question, okay, what does a living act of faith look like? How do we make our beliefs come alive for each of us? Because the book of James is all about how God wants to preserve us and save us through the application of his word. And he's going to talk about prejudice and racism. He's going to talk about partiality. He's going to talk about arguments and fights. He's going to talk about our finances. He's going to talk about our tongue and our speech. He's going to get, in. it's the most practical book in the Bible. And James says, if these areas of your life you really want to change, it's going to be, how do you apply what you know? Now let me just say this in closing. God does have a wonderful plan for your life. He does have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But here's the deal. As a Christian, you have to decide at some point at what level you're going to participate with God. Because he won't make you. You're not a bully. And you participate with God by learning to apply what you believe, by acting on your faith. And hopefully, this will finally be the series that your life begins to change. You see, I think the reason most people don't stay at church very long they say, yeah, maybe it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. The reason it doesn't work for you is you haven't decided to apply your faith. I hope we get there. 